You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Griss. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Annie. Well, thank you. How are you? I'm so good. So um, thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. Why don't you kind of take us sort of back to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? It all started, um, like most people, I guess, in high school. I remember, you know, drinking, um, not not a lot at high school, to be honest, but, you know, I'd start out on the sickly sweet, you know, alcopop type drinks. And after a couple of those feeling all, you know, um, woozy and room spinning and things like that, which was, you know, alcohol's way of saying you probably shouldn't put me in um, your body but for you know everyone was like oh my god you know so it was that kind of reaction so I wasn't a big drinker but that was my first taste if you like and then when I finished school in Australia we can drink at 18 but back in my day you started drinking younger than that and you could go out younger than that you know so I finished high school at 17 and so nightlife was or socializing was parties or um, the pub or nightclubs nightclubs was a big one so you know if you socialized you drank it was just nobody thought anything of it you know that's what you did so and then I in my late teens traveled so I always wanted to travel and I um, moved to London and lived there for nearly five years and I traveled a lot while I was there and again you know the socializing and meeting new people or after work it was you know go to the pub go to wine bars you know go to other people's places so it was always drinking and I would never drink at home but it was always you know meeting people out and and drinking and I realized too that you know they were big group situations and and pubs and nightclubs and so lots of people and in hindsight, I realized that's not my preferred way of socializing with people. I like to be in smaller groups and have deeper conversations. And so on the introvert extrovert scale, I'm I'm skewed towards introvert, but I'm in the middle. I'm I, I don't know if you've heard the term ambivert, but I'm I'm I yeah, so that's kind of in the middle. So you like to be around people, but you like, you know, to recharge by yourself. So that's where I sit. But yeah, the the big, you know, the small talk and big groups, it just wasn't my thing. So drinking actually helped to take the edge off. I didn't think of it in those terms back then, but um, it just took the edge off and, and made me more comfortable and confident. And I guess in your late teens, early 20s, you're finding your way, you you know, all that sort of stuff. So, but then so I was over there and and I was with my partner for this whole time over there traveling and, and working and going to other countries, of course, and came back to Australia and we decided to start a family. So I was in my mid-20s and we had our first son and my life changed a lot, you know. So we went from this inner city, London, living, you know, going out all the time to back to Australian suburbia you know in a house in the suburbs with a with a young child and I just you know I was pregnant then um, breastfeeding pregnant again with my second child breastfeeding so in that early stage of motherhood I just drinking I, I just didn't drink 
or if I could drink because I wasn't breastfeeding and pregnant, it was only a little bit. So mummy wine culture just wasn't a thing, like not in my circle of friends and wasn't really a thing back then. My kids are now, my oldest is about to turn 29. So this is, you know, back in the day. So I look at it now with mummy wine culture and I think, gosh, you know, if that had been around, I probably would have been drawn into drinking more at a, at a younger age. So fast track a little bit and um, my partner and I separated when the children were fairly young. So they were six and four. And I have a distinct, and we had joint custody. So I went from, you know, I was working at the time, but, you know, you know what kids at that age are like, they're just, you know, full on. So um, I went from, you know, having this full-on, you know, young children, you know, full-time work, full-time motherhood to being a part, what I called myself a part-time mum, which is, it's not really fair because even when your children aren't with you, you're still thinking about them all the time. But anyway, it was, it was a difficult time, as you can imagine, and um, very stressful. And I remember, I have distinct memories of putting the kids in the car of my ex and, and, being all happy and, and saying to them, this is great. And, you know, because for them it was quite traumatic. And, you know, and I was like, you'll have a great time. They loved their dad. Of course they did, you know. So I was doing all that, putting on this happy face for them. And I remember walking into the house and grabbing a bottle of wine, going out the back. And I'd previously been a smoker. I hadn't smoked since having the children, you know getting a packet of cigarettes, getting a bottle of wine, neither of which I had done at home, hadn't smoked at all. And that was how I would drown my sorrows. So, and that, when I've looked back on it in hindsight, that was one of the switches, I think, to change the way that I used alcohol. But in saying that, I didn't, you know, I think because I just didn't have a lot of money, I didn't drink a lot really at that time but it was that switch that went off you know if you're feeling sad if you've got these negative emotions that you can't deal with this is a way to numb them and you know it was effective in the short term so anyway I as I said I didn't really drink that much I probably started drinking more because I had a bit of freedom I would go out with friends who were either single moms or were were single hadn't had children and um, so I had this sort of double life if you like you know when the kids were at home it was you know a mom and you know responsibility and occasionally I'd let off steam so again that let off steam was associated with going out and drinking so then yeah, fast track into their their teenage years and I got a bit more freedom because yeah, it was just they were a bit older, more independent. I'd met my new partner. We, you know, the way that we bonded was, you know, this is what I would have said at the time, was through drinking. And that would be things like we felt a bit more sophisticated then. You know, we would sit out the back on the deck and have his beautiful cheese platters and a beautiful, like he loved his wine. He still loves his wine. And so, you know, an expensive bottle of red wine or whatever. And so that was all part of that, you know, connecting with somebody else. Now I know now know that that's, you know, I, I connect these things with alcohol and, and then that strengthens alcohol's power over it. 
but we were having that connection. We were having those conversations. We were having those moments, but that was still, you know, instilling that belief that that was important for the connection. So this is all stuff, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, going, you know, working through you with your program and everything, understanding all these things. At the time, though, that's just, you know, that was just helping to layer upon layer all these beliefs. So anyway, so, and and we were around people who, again, that's how we socialised. So our friends all drank a lot on the weekend and it was just normal. That's the normal way. But that's when I started to drink um, more, more frequently. <laughs> and I was a weekend drinker, really. And so I did you know the fact that it was increasing and that I was drinking more and it started to affect my health now all through this time also I was I'd always exercised um a lot and I you know in my 40s and late 30s I was doing a bit of running a lot of running and I would do 10ks and half marathons I did tough mutters um would do all of those sorts of things and after an event, I would finish that event and come home and treat myself with a glass of wine <laughs> and then the next glass and the next glass. And it was just so ridiculous. So anyway, I, um, so I was healthy, I was fit, I was working, I, you know, everything was together. So it wasn't a problem, but it was kind of niggling away at me. So I started looking into you know, reading around this area and I didn't, I didn't resonate with any of the stories about rock bottoms or, you know, life's derailing or any of those things because that wasn't my story at all. But I just knew that the way I was drinking wasn't healthy and my tolerance was increasing and that worried me a bit, you know. In the past, I could drink X amount and, and feel not well or, or stop drinking and now I could drink more. And so that was worrying me and I was worried that I'd have hazy memories of like the night before. My fitness was not, you know, if you've been drinking, even if you've had a couple of days off, it affects your fitness. So I got a job where I was actually away from home. The kids by this stage were out of, well, not out of home, but they were, they had finished school. And I was working away and it was a whole change of routine. I thought, oh, this will be a good time to change my drinking behavior. So I decided to take that six months, it was a six month contract, six months off drinking. I don't even think I planned for the whole six months, but I thought I'll, I'll take a few months off and it ended up being the whole six months. And so it was a whole lifestyle thing. It was, you know, I didn't drink, didn't, and that was all through willpower and I didn't, um, you know, I ramped up the exercise, I was eating healthily, doing all of those things, but it was very much from a place of deprivation. And it was like, you know, um, almost like, you know, I felt quite smug. I was testing myself and I was like, yeah, I can do this, you know, but it was really from a place of deprivation. So I, at the end of that six months, my partner and I went on a trip and I thought, great, I've, I've rewired my, my brain around all of this. I can now drink normally, in inverted commas. And um, so we went away on a just a, a week-long holiday in this beautiful part of Australia. It's called Great Ocean Road. Um, very scenic, beautiful. We stayed in this beautiful place. 
And, you know, first couple of nights, I just had a couple of drinks and um, that was it. And I remember taking a road trip from the holiday place we were staying and we had to stop for, or we were going to stop for lunch. And I was thinking, oh, I hope they serve wine there because I wouldn't mind a wine with lunch. Then we went and saw, you know, what we were seeing. And then on the way home, I was starting to think about, you know, oh, well, I hope there's enough wine in the fridge, you know, because I want one when we get home. What time do we get home? You know, starting to think like that. Is there a bottle shop on the way home? Maybe I should pick up something just in case. Da, da, da. And then it hit me and I was like, oh, my God, I have gone from six months where, you know, at the beginning I was thinking about not drinking, but after a while it just became that was the way I did things. And within a week, within days, it wasn't even the week, it was within days I had gone back to that thinking about it in that way that I used to. And I didn't even drink necessarily a lot on that holiday, but it was that idea of it consuming my thoughts more than I wanted it to. And that was a was quite an eye-opener. But so then I just, I was like, oh my gosh, that's not a good sign, you know. So, and then it took me a number of years. So I wanted to moderate. That was always my plan. I want to moderate, I want to moderate. Because this time without drinking, it felt like I was different. I'd been depriving myself. It was, you know, it was kind of a bit, I felt good physically, but it was that social aspect of it. I knew I could do it personally, but it was that, you know, mm, I feel like I'm missing out. So, so that was the hardest time because it was that period of knowing that I didn't like the way that I was drinking, but not feeling that I was at any rock bottom, that I was bad enough, again, in inverted commas, to quit altogether. So the only option, in my view, was to moderate, but moderate, you know, moderation is difficult. So, and there's obviously, you know, why? <laughs> Very good reasons. <laughs> Yeah, it took me, I would say, another few years then of trying and not and just in this ugh, um, place. And I had a conversation with one of my brothers um, and I don't even know how we got onto it. Um, and, I, you know, he isn't, well, I didn't think of him as a big drinker. And he said, oh, I haven't been drinking for six months. We were in a road trip somewhere. We're in the car and I went, really I've seen you in that six months and he's like yeah I know I haven't made a big deal of it and um, we'd had Christmas and lots of you know social things and I just hadn't clocked because he didn't make a big deal of it anyway he put me onto your book so I said how'd you do it because I want to cut back and he said have you heard of this naked mind and I said no and so anyway I um, after that trip I got the book and I read it and I was like and just that different approach to it. So that was quite different to that six months. That whole different approach to thinking about it was what I needed, basically. And, and that permission to, it, it wasn't about giving up necessarily. It was continue to drink and to think about the way you're drinking and to dig into those beliefs that you have around alcohol. When I started to do that, then I started to unpack it. And that was, that was when things changed. And so I did an alcohol experiment as well. And then I went on to um, coach training. And the reason I did that was because 
because I've been through those years of knowing that there was something that I wanted to cut back or stop drinking or change the way I was drinking and not being able to do it and not understanding because I thought, well, I'm so disciplined, you know, I, I'm, I, if I have a goal at work, if I have a goal fitness-wise, if I have a personal goal, I can reach that. But why not with this? It just didn't make sense, you know. So until I, I read your book and, and did the work, so I was like, I need to be able to do this so that other people don't have to go through years of going, what is wrong with me, you know. So, um, so that's really my story. Oh, that's amazing, Rachel. And so what was it that really led you to wanting to, like, become a coach? Well, it was, you know, I've got a, I enjoy my job and I still actually work in my job. So I coach part-time and the reason why was because I wanted to give back. You know, I've always been looking for some, some way to give back. But I think if you've had an experience like that, it is good to be able to support other people. And I work with women around my age. So I'm in my 50s now, but I, I work with women who are in their 40s and 50s. And I thought I was the only one who was going through it. And it is such a common thing. Now, even amongst my friends, now that they know that I don't drink, we talk about it a lot more. A lot of women, a lot of people, you know, across all age groups, all genders, whatever. But the women I work with are, you know, in their 40s and 50s. And it's such a common thing. And it is because it ha- it's insidious. Alcohol is insidious. It grows. It's usually a one-way street and it's not a, it's not a great ending to that. And people get stuck and they're in the position that I was in where they're like, I don't know how this happened to me. You know, I'm Every, you know, I'm a smart person. I'm a smart woman. I've got everything else in my life. And yet I'm relying on alcohol in this way and I don't like it. And also the older you get, you know, two of the things with me were perimenopause, that my symptoms, my perimenopause symptoms were worse when I was drinking because I wasn't drinking every day. So I can tell when my drinking, when I was drinking, the, the, the symptoms were worse. And COVID was the other thing, you know, it was kind of like, at the beginning of COVID, it was like all bets were off. People were saying, well, you know, I don't know. There was more talk around alcohol and there was more, you know, it was more of an excuse because it was just a stressful unknown time. So people tended to, you know, just say you'd have a busy, stressful day over Zoom and people go, right, that's it. I'm having a drink. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm having a drink too. It's a Wednesday night and I normally don't drink on a Wednesday night, but I'll have a, a, a drink. So, you know, it was every day and uh, not every day but my weekend drinking was morphing into pretty much every day so and that's and so the women I work with are like that too it's like oh my gosh I didn't it just crept up on me and now all of a sudden I'm trying to pull back and it's hard so that's um, why I decided to become a coach because I knew that that in-between period where you know that there's something you don't like the way you're drinking but you're you, you're shocked because it's not as easy as you think it should be. And, and, and a lot of people blame themselves and your approach is around compassion. And that's the first thing I start with, with people. I say, you've got to have self-compassion. There's a reason this is happening to you. You're blaming yourself, but it's the way alcohol works in our brains and bodies. But 
the go-to for a lot of people is to blame themselves and say, what is wrong with me? I'm not self-disciplined enough to stop at two or whatever their, you know, magic number of drinks. And it's, it's heartbreaking because I know what that was like to, to be in that, that in-between stage of knowing that you want to do something but feeling, I don't know, that, that it has more control of you than you have of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's so true, like the just feeling one of the biggest problems I think we face as like this naked mind coaching community in terms of how to really effectively help our clients is it's that core thought that there's something wrong with me or that I'm broken. And when you consider it, you know, one of the things that just blows my mind is this just so prevalent idea that there's normal drinkers and then there's alcoholics. And I mean, even in like the big book in AA, it talks about, we are not normal drinkers. There's something wrong with us. Right. And so that's kind of where the whole thing has come from. But if you look at it sort of scientifically right now, we don't, um, we don't look at it that way at all. We don't use the term alcoholic. We actually use alcohol use disorder and it's 11 questions. And if you answer two of the questions with a yes, you have alcohol use disorder. Two of those questions are, do you need to drink more than you used to to get the same effect? Or, And another question is, do you ever have a time where you regretted how much you drank? And every drinker, every drinker I know would say yes to those two questions. So every drinker I know has alcohol use disorder. But when I started drinking, um, really like in, you know, in New York as a young adult, I did not think alcohol was addictive to me. I was so convinced that it was just addictive to other people and those who are born alcoholics, you know, some, some other people. And so not only do we approach the entire conversation without enough caution, but we really go into, um, into this blame and shame mode. And so I feel like so much of like our job as naked mind coaches is just like attacking those core beliefs, because when you have such negativity around this really positive change you're trying to make in your life, you actually undermine your chances of success. Absolutely. And I, because I was a smoker um, and, and also a drinker, I sometimes use the analogy of when you're giving up smoking. So if you give up, like I was pregnant when I gave up smoking, so that was a no-brainer, but um, well, I gave up before I was pregnant. But but if you give up smoking, people don't turn to you and say, oh, wow, but I, you only smoke 10 cigarettes on a weekend. You're not, you know, a pack a day smoker. Why would you give up? Why don't you just cut back to like five cigarettes on a weekend? Or they don't say, oh, my gosh, don't, you know, you're not in an iron lung. You're not relying on oxygen for, you know, why do you? fine you know nobody says that you know you say you proudly walk into a room and go I haven't smoked for five days and people go good on you you know that's great blah 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 um and I was the same like I was more worried about the addictive nature of smoking than I was drinking that didn't didn't cross my mind so yes smoking was a big one and I I I knew that I had to stop doing that and, and thankfully I did but 
they're the same in terms of, you know, they're, they're addictive, the, the impacts on your health, their carcinogenics, you know, all those things. They're just, and, and they will creep up on you. So it's, it's interesting, but that is a societal thing, you know, and you see it everywhere, you know, advertising and, and not just advertising for alcohol. You know, I see advertising that is aimed at, say, women in my age group, and you'll see these people in, you know, beautiful parts of the world, you know, traveling and they've got a glass of, you know, champagne or whatever, cheering their, you know, travel adventure or whatever. And I often flip that and go, would they be smoking a cigarette in those ads, maybe in the 50s and 60s, but not now, you know, to, to, to showcase that it was glamorous? Would they be shooting up heroin, you know? Um, you know, but that, that that you don't even have to say anything. You just have to have two people, you know, clinking glasses, beautiful, or being in front of a fireplace with a, you know, glass of red or being somewhere and celebrating with a glass of champagne, you know. It's just... I, I type, uh, you know, emojis come up now when you're texting people and, you know, if you type happy birthday or something, a, you know, the two champagne glasses will come up or congratulations for your anniversary, two champagne glasses. It's just so entrenched. So, yeah. So true. So um, this has been really great. How has, you know, just in your personal life and, navigating social life and all of all of the the people in your you know that you used to drink whether in your community how has that been for you that was actually one of my biggest fears because as I said like by the time I decided that I would take a break and at the beginning after reading your book um, I decided that it would be three months I knew it would be longer but that was that felt comfortable to me to say look I'm just doing it for three months but I knew then that I was pretty much done but that was my big concern and so I actually put off starting that three months for a couple of months because I was like well I can't do it this month because I've got such and such coming up or I can't I'm going away you know I can't do that so even then <laughs> cognitive dissonance I thought no I can't do it I can't do it and then and then I had to go well what about you know my social life revolved around drinking really most of it um, and my partner did drink and still does drink and his one of his big fears and my fear was will this all change you and I said the only thing I said I promise you the only thing that will change is what is in my glass and I've been able to do that so we uh, we do all the same things. I will go out with girlfriends. We have what we call this ladies' lunch, which used to be a long, boozy lunch. I still go to the ladies' lunch. I just have something different in my glass. Um, we go out. We like live music. We'll go and see live music. We go to go out to dinner. Um, I've got a big family. We've got, we do big family things. We do big family holidays, vacations, you call them. I'm about to go away on a vacation. Like in the past, my first holiday I was really worried about drinking and and it wasn't even it was an outdoorsy thing it was sailing in the Sundays, which is in, in Australia beautiful islands you know Great Barrier Reef basically snorkeling diving doing all those things so it's not that's not a drinking holiday I was still worried about drinking but every I just was I had my wine I guess if you like you know when people said um why are you not drinking it was because 
for health reasons, I want to see if I feel healthier without alcohol in my um, my body. I'm trying it out. And that felt comfortable to me. And then it would open up conversations. People were like, oh, yeah, well, that's interesting. Um, and then I just kept going. Um, and the big thing, mind blown, is that people don't care, <laughs> you know. Like uh, they're interested at the beginning, but now people really – like, you know, if you're there and you're showing up and, um, you know, it, people really don't care. So it hasn't changed anything really in terms of my friendship group. Um, some things I will leave earlier because if people are starting to get a bit, you know, repeating the same stories um, and getting a bit loose, but even then, you know, so that was my big fear or one of my big fears and even with my partner it really hasn't changed things so and I alcohol free drinks aren't for everybody but for me that is for some people it's a trigger and they make them want to drink the real thing but for me particularly at the beginning they were a really good um, substitute so um, so if I go to somebody's place and I've got an alcohol free bottle of say bubbles or whatever then yeah, I, I feel like I'm not missing out. But I really, that was a big surprise. And the other big surprise was that I actually enjoy things more because I'm in the moment. I'm not thinking, oh, you know, like if we're out to dinner with other people, I'm not going, oh, well, you know, when's the wine waiter going to come over because everybody's drinking slower than me or, you know, I'm, I'm just in the moment. Um, and and events, you know, live music. I've been to a few live music things without drinking. I'm, I'm there. I'm in the moment. I'm listening to it. I'm not worried about, oh, my gosh, I've got to queue for 20 minutes to get my next drink, you know, or go to the toilet or, you know, because you go to the toilet more often, you know, just, yeah, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't actually need. That's what I was talking about before, you know, the unlinking in terms of these things are coupled, you know, with the, the drinking has to go with socializing or has to go with you know connection or whatever deep and meaningfuls you know those drunken deep and meaningfuls with friends you know I I have better conversations with um people now and I remember them you know I'm there for it it's clear so yeah so that that was a bit of a um bit of an unexpected bonus that socializing would actually be better without drinking yeah. And it's, it's so true how just people just stop caring or they don't care as much as you think, you know, once you get for, through the first, the first few instances of, of seeming like, you know, they just care so much. So true. So good. Yeah. Um, and I totally remember the deep and meaningful conversations that were just really, you couldn't actually, that's funny. I totally don't remember. I remember the idea of them, but I certainly even the next day, didn't remember like, you know, any, any breakthroughs or takeaways or any real, you know, forward uh, momentum in my, like, you know, mindset based on those heart to hearts. And yeah, it's just interesting how, how that works, but that's so great. Absolutely. Let me ask you, where can people find you? Should they want to learn more about your coaching? So, um, my business name is Inspired to Change. So my website is inspiredtochange.com.au. So the AU at the end because it's Australia. And so I've got lots of, you know, I do a weekly newsletter, um, which is free um, and some free resources. And then I do tailored one-on-one coaching with people as well. So, yeah. 
Very, very cool. And then let's finish up with this question. If you were going to um, go back to Rachel of, you know, drinking and, and feeling not as great as you do now, what would you tell her about what life is like now? I would say stop worrying about is it bad enough and asking that question, you know, is it bad enough and just try it. Um, and instead of asking the question, is it bad enough, ask that question, would life be better without alcohol and just try it out and, and do it as an experiment because it, the, the benefits far outweigh any negatives and and the negatives that you think that you're going to have which mine were that I'd be missing out that I couldn't socialize that even even you know taking the edge off you know none of those things are true but you don't you don't know for sure until you give it a go right so it's just like why not try I know that's easier said than done but why not try and see would my life be better without alcohol in my system mm -hmm. I love that so much. Such a great reframe and such a better question to ask. Well, and I think that's it. You know, uh, the, the, your approach has helped in terms of, and I say this a lot to my clients, it's your choice whether you drink or not. But just, you know, if you go through the process and understand your relationship with alcohol, work through, I use your methodology, work through the approach, learn, understand about alcohol. At the end of the day, you're an adult. You can do whatever you want. But don't you want it to be your choice and to be a choice that comes from feeling empowered rather than you feel that you're you're disempowered, which most people feel in that when they're in that place. And so that feeling of feeling empowered and that it is my choice and it's a positive choice is such a different way to look at it and, and does feel very comfortable and yeah, empowering. Yeah, that's so good. And it's like um yeah, just that that entire reframe, which, you know, it's it's hard for people to almost conceptualize when they're on the other side of it, that this would be a better life. And so it's almost like you have to start this journey with just accepting that you're going to be hugely skeptical and accepting that it's going to be a leaf of faith and accepting that, you know, it it's hard to believe when you don't when you don't feel that way, when you do feel um, so stuck. So great absolutely absolutely so um thank you so much for coming on and thank you for sharing your story it was just really really great and really awesome to get to know you better thank you so much for listening to this episode if you're ready to see how this naked mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious.